the podcast, guys. What's going on? What is going on? Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> nothing. Nothing. Just, nothing happened kidding. this week. No, no, no. We're actually feeling the pressure as we're moving closer to Holy Week. This is technically the busiest time for a priest. This and the end of Advent. You know, we ramp up our um, times for confession. We have just more, more stuff going on in the parish, and so it's been busy. Um, I'm also re- realizing this, these these are the times uh, during the year where you realize like I really need to set time aside for prayer and like be like jealous of that time mm-hmm. because if you're like oh well, I'll just put it in whenever I can yeah like you you get a sick happen. call and that just throws off your day and mm-hmm. so um, yeah. It's really like these are the times in the year where your like discipline for making your own schedule like really is tested. So, right. What um, is mom always told us? Like, what was that thing she said? She was like, if you're you should pray like half an hour a day, and if you're really busy, an hour. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Just like that, having to make it super, uh, like put it at the forefront of your schedule. Yeah. It just, I guess, it's just like. I hate the term adulting, but that's like what it is. It's like when, yeah. you, when you're busy, stuff's going to happen. Yeah. You got to make it a priority or else it doesn't. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. what happened on Monday when um, I had like a couple of, a few meetings, things scheduled throughout the day. I had two masses in the morning um, and I was like, oh, I could fit my holy hour in here. But I got a sick call mm-hmm. downtown. Right. And so that took like an hour and a half out of my day. Um and so I ended up chopping up my holy hour into like three parts, like 20 minutes, mm-hmm. 20 minutes, 20 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> it's the only thing I could have done to, to get it done. So, um, yeah, but that's just the nature of um, being a priest in a pretty large suburban parish during Lent. A pretty <laughs> so, large parish. Yeah. <laughs> the biggest one in the country. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, during the summer, this is like, it's it's easy, you know, because yeah. school's yeah. out. Right. Um, yeah. I'm also a chaplain, so I do that two times a week at a high school. But then we also have our elementary school at the parish, and that's out too. And so, like, during the summer, it feels like a part-time job. You Mm -hmm. say mass in the morning, it's like a couple of meetings, and you're done. So that's where you can just do your holy hour whenever, which is really nice. So, How many people do you know are – do you know how many people are coming into the church this year at St. Mark? I think it's over 50. Over 50. Um, big, big group. Mm-hmm. I remember when I was a seminarian, um, in some of the parishes that I used to help out at, um, like St. Thomas Aquinas, um, uh, they had, I think one year 26 and that was considered huge. Yeah. Um, but that's just the nature of St. Matthew's. Um, yeah, it's crazy. It's massive. So, yeah. Uh, so that's, that's what's been going on. Pretty busy. It's good to be busy. It's good to be, yeah. good. Sound like yeah. my mom. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's, what is it? Uh, <coughs> idle, idle, idle hands is the devil's workshop. Yes, yeah. that's exactly what I was gonna say. Really? Yeah. Was it? <laughs> no, it's, it's true. It's just like you know, you get idle and you get lazy, and then you forget about God. No, it's actually no. You're not wrong. You're not wrong. Um, like I mean, it's just so easy to get distracted and you just like wander. You yeah. Know? Yeah. But when you ground yourself with mm-hmm. certain things, this is why in seminary, it's so interesting because it was easier to stick to a prayer routine um, for your holy hour, even though if you were really busy, every hour was kind of almost dictated for you, mm-hmm. um, for the most part. Yeah. Um, but because it was so structured, you just fit it in very easily. 
And you know, if like, if you don't um, do your holy hour during that time, you're not going to get it done. Yeah. Whereas if you had more time during the day, you're like, well, I can get it done whenever. Mm -hmm. And it just doesn't happen, you know? So, so that structure um, is really helpful um, for just maintaining a a, a constant uh, steady life. Yeah. I mean, I experienced that as an, as an entrepreneur that, you know, running into the problem of having to make my own schedule was something I didn't expect that was going to be an issue. Mm-hmm. You know, it was like, oh, I'll have the freedom to do whatever I want, like whenever I want. But it's like, well, what do I do? Yeah. Like, I could do 50 things today. Like, which yeah. one should I do? And right. you freeze. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so just having that routine schedule. And then on top of that, it's like, got to make time for prayer. Yeah. Like, priority. And then everything else kind of falls into place. I always feel like it's like a, um, like one of those, like, I don't know, utensil sorting things where it's like you know where everything goes once that thing is in place that's yeah. how i feel like my prayer life is for me it's like yeah. once that thing's in place and everything else just fits otherwise yeah. it's just scattered you know i, I yeah, recommended uh, someone um was asking me how do i um how do i prioritize prayer in my life and i told her um if if you find it like if you find your day too chaotic to put prayer um in the middle of it just set your alarm clock on for 15 minutes earlier. That's yeah. all it is. Right. That's all it is. Uh, but it's funny because we struggle with that. Yeah. And it's like, in the grand scheme of things, it's like 15 minutes. Yeah. Not yeah, a yeah. big deal, really. Yeah. And it just really goes to show, like, how much do you actually prioritize this? Mm-hmm. The God um, of sleep really beckons. Like, I feel that one. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, having, yeah, for sure. Especially with kids and stuff. Like, there is no sure. way I'm going to, we're going to be able to, my wife and I are going to be able to prioritize prayer without doing it before things start. Yeah. Like, it has to be in the morning. Yeah. But it's always that, like, well, you could just wake up half an hour. It's like, <laughs> right. Well, okay. and then, yeah, exactly. And the second hurdle you will, will overcome when you wake up earlier is like, well, now I have time to just lounge. Right, yeah, yeah, <laughs> you yeah. know, if you're right. that type of person mm-hmm. that's more laid back, yep. Um, so there's a couple of hurdles, but you know, it's uh, who 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 once said, I don't know who said it, but it's a probably it's a true mom. axiom anyway. <laughs> probably mom. Yeah, <laughs> this episode goes out to mom. <laughs> um, you, if you want to know what you worship, just look at what you spend the most time on. Mm. Um, I mean, yes. And breathing? No, I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, right. Spend a lot of time at the, at the at the office. Yeah. yeah. Um, or what? Like, what do you pay the most attention to? Right. What do you, yeah. Right. Yeah. That's the way. To, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, there's also like, would you give up other things in order to do, other, you know, some mm-hmm. other things? So I guess, what are you, what are you willing to give up? Right. To do that other thing, like if yes. you're willing to, yeah. because I think there are people that are willing to get up early to play video games. All right. Yeah. Or something. Right. Um, or when, you know, when their work day is done and they have some free time, like, what are you spending your free time on? Right. Yeah. You know? Um, right. That's a way to look at it, too. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, not, to not to disparage video games. <laughs> no, no, no. no. We, had just, a, we had a whole episode on that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm just saying, you know, yeah, there are some people that are willing to, like I said, make all kinds of sacrifices. To do their one thing. To, to, do, right. to do whatever. Exactly. What is, yeah. like, watching sports or mm-hmm. going, to, going to a game or biking yeah. or working out, whatever it might right. be. right. Um, that's what you prioritize because you say like this is important to me, right? Um, yeah. So then yeah, it's that, like, where does prayer? In that? I feel like that um, ties into kind of things you like to talk about in terms of like desire and um, like not gritting your teeth towards mm-hmm. a life of virtue and holiness. In in that, how it's so easy that we uh, will sacrifice things for something we're interested in or something mm-hmm. that we want to do. It's yeah, like right. it's an actual possibility that you can get to the point where prayer feels like that. Yeah, like there's always going to be a struggle of against your flesh, but it's it's not something that 
it's inevitable um, as in terms of like, it's going to be, you're going to grit your teeth the whole time. Yeah. You know, it's not like, oh, you just got to do it. You just got to do it. It's like, it's something that you're going to want to prioritize. Yeah. And, it, and there's an ease that comes with that. Yeah. Um, there, it, yeah, I know that's, that's difficult because that's what I typically recommend to people when they're like struggling with prayer. I'm like, it's, it's like exercise. You know, you start out, mm-hmm. I want to talk. I don't really exercise. I need to. Anyway, that's another episode. Um, <laughs> <laughs> when you, um, it, it's like, you know, at first it's difficult. Yeah. Um, it's discouraging when you don't see results immediately. Mm-hmm. But if you stick with it, it gets easier. On the other hand, prayer also can be difficult, even if you've been doing it for years. Yeah, um, for sure. I mean, like, li- it's life, though. It's not like you, like, you become yes. perfect after two well, years. Well, prayer is, like, mm-hmm. it, I think a specific thing. I think it was um, Blessed Columbus, uh, Columbus, no, what was his name? Columba Marmion? Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. He, um, he has a book. I can't remember the book now. But um, I had to read it for my spirituality class. But he had a section in there on prayer, and he said prayer will always be a difficult thing, even for the most seasoned, um, uh, you know, seasoned holy yeah. man, mm-hmm. um, because it's a climbing upward. Yeah, and, you know, there's always um, and, and I guess you can actually relate that to exercise too, in the sense that like you don't want to plateau. Right. You should always strain yourself a mm-hmm. little bit, right, to grow. Um, and then decay always exists. You know, like the inevitability of time passing and sins come back to you and you're always back in the confession yeah. it's not like hey you can get to a point where you never sin like right, you're right. always yeah, going to do right. that yeah exactly and that's why the mm-hmm. church has the yearly cycles of lent to purge yeah. to refocus um yeah exactly and so it's, it does seem like obviously if prayer is the highest thing that relationship with god then any type of sin is going to distract you from yeah. that ultimately so that's that's always the first thing to go yeah that's the thing that's going to take the hit all the time right 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 no that's a good point I tell I tell people like the spiritual life can feel like it's two steps forward, one step back. Two steps forward, one yeah. step back. Um, but that one step back can really, it can disorient you to such an extent that you feel like I might not even can I might yeah. as well not continue. You know, and mm-hmm. you feel like you're stuck. But yep. in reality, this is why it's important maybe to keep a prayer journal too. You kind of like mark um, mm-hmm. like where you've been, how you feel after prayer. You mm-hmm. know, just to remember that. Um, so that you can remember, like, yeah, I'm, I'm actually making some progress, and yeah. prayer is actually important. Um, yeah, I use that in periods of like, you know, desert periods per se. Yeah. Um, always trying to recollect the moments when I felt consoled by prayer. And yeah. Like, yeah. Well, mm-hmm. the, I felt better as a, on the whole, when I was consistent with my prayer. So I do need to get back to that, and then vice versa. When you're in a period of consolation, remembering that the desert is always. On the edge, yeah, and to to keep to keep steady, yeah, yeah, exactly. So, anyway, that's what I've been thinking about this week. Nice, so. <laughs> good stuff. Nice, yeah, yeah. That uh, <clears throat> that reminds me of something from Deuteronomy. I guess in this last week, he talks about uh, not being forgetful. Moses is addressing the people for the last time. Um, this Deuteronomy is what it's like a long sermon essentially. Mm-hmm. Um. And he he tells them he tells the Israelites not to forget God, like mm. don't forget the things you've seen, don't forget the things He's done for you. So you know, as long as you keep this in your memory and you pass it on, you'll stay in the land. Yeah. But it's interesting because before that, before he talks about not forgetting, he talks about how close God is to them mm-hmm. and how near He is to them. But then also then and then says, don't forget Him. 
So right. it, it's it's like a paradox almost. Yeah, it? it's interesting because mm-hmm. it, yeah. it's true that there's nothing more, you know, as uh, Saint Augustine would say, there's nothing closer to yourself than God. There's mm-hmm. nothing more your innermost self is God. So how is it that you forget God? Right. You know, how is it? And it's really if if you don't if you don't make time for Him every day, as you're saying, then you will forget, mm-hmm. and something else will will take its place. Yeah, yeah. and it's. It's interesting too because going off of Augustine's point, when you forget God, you also forget yourself. Yeah. Right. Because if you look, if if finding God is within you, mm-hmm. uh, and prayer is that silence where you enter into the silence of your heart, you know, as the cliche mm-hmm. goes. <laughs> um, but there's a sense of like forgetting almost everything, like yourself, yeah. what reality is, mm-hmm. what God, who God is. Um, there's like a almost like a detachment from reality yeah and you just focus on the material mm-hmm. you know and 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 prayer kind of grounds you back into that vision right and that remembrance that's why in the lion king mufasa says remember who you are not like remember me yeah right. yeah. You know yeah so it's like they're intricately yeah. co- uh, connected if you remember your father and your lineage and whatever that that that's in you that tells you who you are yeah right right that, i mean re- remembrance is is big in the old testament i mean mm-hmm. that's what happens in uh, the Passover mm-hmm. is is meant to be a memorial, yep. remembrance. Um, all throughout uh, the establishment of the kingdom of Israel, the the problem of the Israelites is that they didn't remember. Mm-hmm. Yeah, God. That that's right. that's their main. That's, that, the key. And the, that's yeah. his main charge against them is that you didn't remember what I did for your fathers. Yep. So now you're falling into idolatry. Right. Right. That's your problem. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and even, I mean, of course, the Eucharist says, uh, do this in memory of yeah, yeah. anamnesis and all that. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah that, I mean, that's because the opposite of remembering is forgetting. But you could also say, like, dismembered as opposed to remembered, yeah, like brought right. together. So, it, that, I mean, that analogy of, like, a utensil sorter is, like, to remember things to put together. Um, otherwise, you feel, like, scattered and dismembered. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's, that's very that's very platonic, too. Like this, like remembrance as like going back to the good, right? The form, mm-hmm. um, and then the opposite of that is that when you forget, you're you're yeah, exactly dismembered yeah. throughout, mm-hmm. scattered, it's scattered. Yeah, exactly. Interesting. Huh. So yeah, I think it was, I think it was Eliade, maybe it was you. I think it was Eliade said that when you look at the, the history of gods, like you know some kind of remain for a long time and some disappear mm-hmm. and come back or some die. And wh- why is that? And Eliade's conclusion was they kind of just lose their significance. Mm. That they, they no longer really have any meaning to the people. So mm-hmm. one way to kind of write them uh, in history is to have them die, have them transform, whatever it is. Uh, and so mm-hmm. if you don't remember God, if God no longer has a significance for you, God in a sense, dies. Right. Yeah. That's kind of a, Nietzsche's point. God is dead, right? Right. Like the society just moved away. Like they had no need for God anymore. In right. The, in, in their mind. Yeah. Right. You know, with, yeah, with the, the advent of evolution and, and science and the enlightenment and such, uh, philosopher, Nietzsche and philosophers like Nietzsche kind of thought that it they were starting to go beyond God and that God was no longer necessary. Yeah, yeah. In, in a way, necessary so. to understand the world, right? And, and themselves, right? Yeah. Exactly. So 
then God dies. Right, right. Huh. What else is going on? Uh, I listened to a podcast um, with Peterson. Uh, oh gosh, I forget the guy's name he's with. Something Shaw, I think. Um, but he was talking about the epidemic of unplanned childlessness. Mm. Uh, people are obviously not having children, and people are having less children, but that there's a good, I think he quoted 30% of people um, aren't having children, but not because they don't want to have children. Mm. Because apparently people are still reporting at high numbers that they want to have children, they want to have families and stuff and, and things like that, both men and women, but that for one reason or another, the door, the, 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 the time or the chance just passed them by. You know, yep. They were too mm-hmm. invested in their career yep. or they just said, I have time until they mm-hmm. didn't have time, yeah, yeah. you know. Now you're 43. Well, exactly. That's what yeah. he said about one guy was, I think he's 35, and he said it It was one of those things that, oh, I'll, I'll, I have time, I have time, I have time, and then realized I'm 35, yeah. mm-hmm. and I don't have a girlfriend. Mm-hmm. So. This is like prioritizing <laughs> prayer. <laughs> yeah, like, well, yeah, I was thinking yeah. about it. You, you got to do it now. Right, <laughs> right. In terms of priorities, um, yeah. you know, where do you, where do you place it? And uh, the great, pain the podcast highlighted the great pain and sorrow that people are feeling mm-hmm. by not having children and that some people are, are still trying to kind of uplift them and say no but now you have all this freedom and all this time and all this right. money but it, it doesn't actually make Translate a lot of to that right it yeah. doesn't make a lot of people happy yeah um towards the end of the podcast peterson talked about elevating the sacred significance of motherhood again mm-hmm. yeah um that we, we need to, to place motherhood back on that necessary pedestal. Yeah. And that for a long time in the West, the image of that was Mary and in, in the infant yeah. Jesus. Right. As, as mm-hmm. the ideal. You're right. As yeah. the ideal. And, you know, really mothers form a massive, you know, foundation yeah. for the society. Mm-hmm. You know, we're all here because of mothers. Right. Um, societies, again, are, are not sort of like, amorphous blobs but they're made up of individuals and all those individuals right. came from someplace mm-hmm. so and mothers yep. are that someplace yep um so when you r- get rid of that what happens when you when you say that motherhood is no longer sacred but a, right. a curse yeah yeah that's so crazy though i mean like so, like culture itself exists for mothers right like you build a culture for families to exist right. <laughs> so it's like yeah, yeah the, the idea that that's like frowned upon or like not becoming of uh, attractive option for people. Yeah, that's that's well, so. It's almost I, yeah. anti-human. Well, that, yeah, I was just yeah, gonna it say is. it yeah. actually it stems from a place that's a hatred towards humanity. Yeah, I think it's you know not to group everyone in this in, in the same category, but I think there's a line of thinking that you know if you if you um, take motherhood off of its proper pedestal, um, you know you um, take away the sacredness. Um, I think there's a tendency to also think like, well, then humanity is not that important and we need to have less people. And you start caring about the environment more than right. people. Right. right. And, yeah. um, you know, the issues with abortion and all that yep. stuff is all tied up into that, um, to motherhood. I guess yep. you can pinpoint that. Mm-hmm. I think it was Peterson's, I think one of his most controversial statements, but, um, also entirely correct <laughs> is that <laughs> the, the most important thing a woman can be is a mother. Mm-hmm. Um, and that just seems so. That just flies in the face of society's right. philosophy. 
entirely. Right. Um, because at the heart of that, I think is uh, it's, it's 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 selfishness versus um, self giving. Mm. Um, and so if you want to categorize, some, like our current state, is that you know do what you want to do, right? Be who you want to be. Right. But that seems at odds with what a mother is, who a mother is, mm-hmm. is is someone who actually receives life, right, and then gives it away. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's yeah, I, I think yeah. you can categorize it as selfish versus self giving. Yeah, that was something that Peterson highlighted that there are are very few people who don't want children, and even of that number, there's they have specific reasons. But for the most part, it's this. Um, selfishness yeah mm. that if i have children they will da- they will hamper my freedom yeah they'll hinder me from achieving yeah. what I, my what career I, right my, my third right. house or second right. house whatever and right i boat you know, I yeah, yeah. right yeah. You know, the yeah. um the guy he was talking to stephen shaw uh said that you know peterson um kind of questioned him do we have any you know further stats and like mm-hmm. in way back history about this but Stephen Shaw said that we there's no record of a civilization dipping below replacement level and then coming back. Mm, wow. Usually when it yeah. dips below, mm-hmm. it just keeps on, you know. Right. A family has less children than that family that uh-huh. they have, have have less children yep. and so on and so forth. Mm. Um, but that it's sort of, uh, Peterson really rails against this, this sort of uh, anti-human nature of, of telling women not to have children. Right. It's um, it's a uh, anti-incarnational. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Know, that that right. um, women archetypally are the thing that uh, kind of, as Jung says, like traps the spirit. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. You know the, that yeah. it, they bring the spirit down, and mm-hmm. incarnate mm-hmm. in their in their flesh. Yeah, that's interesting. So, to be against motherhood is to be against the incarnation. That's yeah. true. <laughs> yeah, it's also yeah. interesting how I mean because. I get the the claim or the, I mean, it's not a complaint, but just like the, the valid point that um, women are more tied to raising children than men because, yeah. I mean, biologically they make the child. Um, <laughs> so it almost seems like men have less uh, physical responsibility or like they can they can leave if they want more easily than a woman can. And so a woman, in response, may think, well, I also want that freedom to just not have kids or to leave mm-hmm. or whatever. I want to be equal to the man's opportunity to do that, which is the wrong way of seeing things. Obviously, it's like we should be holding men more accountable mm-hmm. <laughs> to having kids and staying in the home um, and not not uh, liberating humanity from raising their own children. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It's like, it's, it's like we, should, we should put the onus on men to make that choice more responsibly as opposed to somehow seeking to liberate women from ever having children because yeah. that's not a thing that's going to happen. Well, because right. I think uh, mothers are more tied to nature. Um, when you, you, know, you say mother, you're actually talking about the family. Yeah. But the father um, is, you know, of course, he's part of the family unit. But it's more, if you want to categorize it maybe as nominal, in the sense that like he's not mm-hmm. tied to the family as much as the mother is. Um, 
Yeah. And so, you know, yes, putting the onus on men to to stay and, and urge them to be more mm-hmm. responsible. Um, I, th- I think, like, naturally speaking, that's always going to, like, that's going to always be a temptation. Um, yeah, for sure. For the father. Yeah. Um, like, you can't tie them to mm-hmm. the family as much as a mother is. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe by, um, like, what we say in our culture can urge them to stay more. Right. But they're always going to have, um, they're always going to be able to abuse their freedom right. uh, and leave. Um, at least in my mind, um, if right. that makes sense. Well, yeah, if you're saying, like, as a culture, if we're if we're trying to decide, like, how we're going to create a type of a good equality where there's balanced responsibility... Uh, and you're like thinking about that as a person, like what am I going to encourage my child to grow up in, mm-hmm. in terms of a culture, one that uh, promotes parenting or not, or like you can do whatever you want. And seeing the equality of like, well, you can leave, you can just not have kids. Mm-hmm. That's one way to see it. And that's what the culture is currently promoting of mm-hmm. like no responsibility. Yeah. Whereas you can, the alternative is not that it's going to be women tied down to their kids and then men can go off. Like that's a false binary. Like we have to create a culture in that we're holding men responsible. Hookup culture is not something we should promote mm-hmm. because men should stay around if they get people pregnant. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like mm-hmm. that we should have that within marriage. Like that should be a thing that we um, encourage and that creates an equal responsibility on that yeah. side. So there is a way that you can create that equality without eradicating the roles of marriage. Right. Right. I th- Yeah. And it's funny that... Uh, I'm sure you guys have seen um, some responses um, to abortion where um, abortionists or abortion advocates would would say, well, you know, if you're going to make abortion illegal, then you should also make le- uh, men leaving the family yeah. um, illegal too. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, yeah, we agree with that. Because right. their premise is that um, the woman is not free. Yeah, yeah. Um, sure. And so, and if like, and their idea of freedom is just to do whatever you mm-hmm. want. And so that means that they're already giving credence to the men to do whatever they want. Right. Like, right. so shouldn't the woman have... Yeah, yeah. It's like, no, no, no. The premise false is all premise, wrong. Yeah. yeah, false premise. Mm-hmm. It's like they both have the responsibility. Um, yeah. So. Yeah, I was, I was thinking the same thing. After Roe v. Wade, there was a lot of discussion that basically said that we should have monogamy. Yeah. We should have marriage yeah. and monogamy. Yeah. It's like, nice. are you not okay. listening to us? <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, yeah, I was saying, you know, men should take responsibility for the children they have and... And, and such it's like yeah that's a good idea yeah, yeah, that, that's yeah. A re- yeah I agree with that that's yeah. a really good idea <laughs> I'll concede your point right <laughs> yeah a- another thing that was interesting after Roe was I saw a lot of things on social media about you know if we really if this was really about children then we would have more protections from mothers if we really valued mm-hmm. mothers and if we really valued children mm-hmm. we, we would protect them more and the answer is yeah but we don't yeah, right. We don't value children and we don't value mothers. That's why they're not protected. Mm-hmm. Right, right. You know, you can't you can't have it both ways, right? right? You you can't spend years degrading and denigrating motherhood. Mm-hmm. And calling children parasites. Yeah. And right. then be surprised when there's no extended yeah. yeah maternity leave mm-hmm. and there's not greater care for mm-hmm. children and and you right. know whatever mandatory daycare yeah. or not mandatory uh paid daycare. Yeah. So like, well, we we don't value them. You're right. Right. Yeah. You're, again, you're right. We mm-hmm. the reason why we don't have these things is you know, we've we've just completely destroyed the sacredness of motherhood yeah, and, right. and and viewing each child, you know, as Jung would say as a as another incarnation of the divine child. You know, right. the, the mystery of motherhood gives birth again in a sense to Christ. Yeah, yeah. 
that's you know every yeah. mother's a mary you know and it's but, not surprising one we're just you know a relatively materialistic society um again it's all about like i do what i want you do what you want um it just maximize pleasure but then when you're responsible for a kid like that just ruins everything instead of actually seeing it upside down or right side up mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> chastertonian uh inversion <laughs> yeah. um but you know seeing it as like well no like the whole point of my life is to give myself away yeah right um that's, that's the, the whole, whole reason why you would go seek material things it's for a family that you're gonna like potentially yes, build yeah you know what i'm saying like that's that's how i see it of like my endeavors are for my children and yeah. if, if right. i didn't have them it's like oh i could be more successful like for what yeah what would i do with all this stuff right. and i think yeah, yeah like it seems like we're so far away uh at a point in our society that um we can't understand that but i think everyone can uh, like, understand on a very surface level the value of love um, yeah. you know, uh, I mean, that's a very, uh, it, it, that's a Christian idea of like love and freedom being, um, like the highest, um, values in our society and the individual, like the, the value of the individual, uh, the value of the individual freedom, love, that's all, um, uh, uh, that's all something that we value in the West, but that really came from a, a Christian mythos, if you want to mm-hmm. put it that way. But if you so and so, if you see the value in love, you have to ask like, well, what what does love mean? Um, and that's where it starts splintering. I think you yeah. ask ten different people, you get ten different mm-hmm. answers of what love is. Right. Um, but yeah, mm. at the core, it's, it's giving yourself away. So yeah, it's it's interesting, you know, talking about like women, well, you know, wanting the masculine power and maybe more um, liberation, freedom. It's like the two principles, or the two aspects of like the feminine principle is on one hand kind of the archetypal virgin or maiden. Mm-hmm. Um, I think like, you know, pictures of the Annunciation kind of thing. And then on the other hand is the the aspect of the mother or the the royal queen. Yeah. But one, one naturally precedes the other in that one is, you know, the maiden first mm-hmm. archetypally and then the queen. But usually the queen after being a mother right. being yeah. uh, you know having children mm-hmm. and i'm trying to think of maybe specific examples i'm sure you could find either or but you know when you think of a queen without children it's almost like they become the terrible queen mm. that their right. their energy becomes like conquest uh-huh. and uh and you know yeah using the kingdom mm-hmm. using the soldiers to right. go out mm-hmm. i'm sure you can find examples of the counter where there's a terrible queen and she has children yeah but right, right. um archetypally that's how it seems mm-hmm. But in order to become the royal queen, you kind of have to first be the receptive, mm-hmm. passive maiden. Right. Again, this is archetypally. I don't want yeah. them to be like. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So this is symbolic. What are you saying yeah. about women? Right. Um, and then from there, though, through that transformation, right. you become the queen, uh-huh. the mother, who then takes a little bit more action. Because mm-hmm. um, as a mother, you can't be entirely passive, I'm sure. Um, yeah, you know, you have now uh, a role to fulfill. Yeah. yeah. And taking care of your children and such like that, but yeah, you I, become I, the neck that turns the head. From my yeah. big fat Greek wedding, <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah, exactly. Um, but that's in that's in relation to another because that's the other thing about again the archetypal maiden is uh, unrelatedness. Mm. She has no mm-hmm. husband, right? Um, she's unrelated. That's interesting. But once she becomes a mother or a mm-hmm. wife, she is related. Right, and then he said, then she becomes the knacker, you yeah, know, yeah. that turns mm-hmm. the head, and yeah. mm. you know, has her own home to build and everything. So. Yeah, 
I think it was you, you had told us you were talking about this um, outside the podcast about how um, a lot of the like feminist movement and the things we see coming out of there are kind of like a uh, like a projection or kind of like the the energies that you would be putting into raising children you're now putting into like right yeah doing social work or whatever right. and it, it has the same tendency that like that mothering. Mm-hmm. instinct is not going to go away so it right. shows up in other places and usually when it's disordered and not ordered to the right thing it, it doesn't like work well right yeah exactly um if if you remain in this pure like unrelatedness yeah you know as i've said a million times with Jung, that energy doesn't go anywhere mm-hmm. it doesn't disappear right or it's, it's, yeah i should say it doesn't yeah. disappear it has to be channeled someplace yeah so it, but the question the question is since it's not a husband or children yeah where's it going to go right right yeah. um same thing for men, obviously. Yeah. You know, they still have that mm-hmm. fatherly instinct. Yeah. But where's it going to go? Mm-hmm. Nice. Uh, we should end the podcast here. Um, but I do have a question that we'll, I'll bring up in the bonus. Um, if you guys want to hear it, it is basicallyrelated.com to sign up for the bonus episodes. Um, if not, we'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.